Good morning and welcome everybody. It's good to be here and looks like everybody's here is in good health and we're thankful for that. Um, so I don't know if any of you are like me, probably most of you are because I've talked to some of you and you like to follow pretty close with what's happening out there and what's going on. And um, If you're anything like me, my mind starts to wonder what is our place as individuals and as a group and as a collect uh, kingdom of Christ. What's our place in all this? And I'm thinking of a number of different things because we look at the, the political realm and the things that are going on and it's, um, there's probably four things that are being pushed right now. And of course it's the, the virus and there's equality and that breaks down into how many different groups. And um, there's the trafficking that's being broken down now. And there's all these things that are, that are going on. And I'm not gonna be gloom and doom because I'm actually, uh, pretty optimistic about it, uh, at least as far as our position as a body of Christ and where we can be in the world today. It looks pretty hopeful, actually. If nothing else, it means the end is near. But if you want me to uh, clear up all your um, ideas, and there's a number of opinions here, and there's probably one, at least one for every person, and I'm not going to address any of them. Um, we don't come here for that. If you are here for an opinion, I would maybe recommend you go home and pull up your favorite method of social media and you can spend hours and you can find whatever you want but today we're here for truth and so I want to read um, from Ephesians 4 and from this I want to pull a little bit what is our position or what is our obligation as part as an individual and as a collective body of Christ and I'm going to end up reading through the whole chapter and just make a few comments, but some of it might be extra material, so to speak, but it's here, so we're going to read it. All right. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the body of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So this, this verse, or group of verses right there, it's, it's really easy, and I'm sure we've all heard it done to some extent. Um, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, and meaning that maybe we all need to have the same idea, and... Um, I think we know that right from the get-go, it's not, it's, it's not even logically feasible because we all have 300 opinions a day, whatever it is. So we're not going to have that. So it's got to be calling us to something that is more than that. And so I don't think it's unity of the mind, unity in ideas, unity in opinions, but unity in the spirit and the bond of peace, which is one body. And it goes on, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And that's right after um, a single sentence about calling us to, to be one mind and one spirit. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So I think we are allowed for us a uh, difference. But it still doesn't really point us to what our um, obligation is as part of the body of Christ. So we'll start reading verse 8 again. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also, 
he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the sons of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. One of the things that's interesting here, if you read it in the King James, which this was the ESV that I'm reading out of, but if you get into um, verses, uh, let me see, I was going to read that in King James, starting at 11 and 12. Um, King James, the wording, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. But the ESV, um, I like how it says, and it gets a little bit closer home, maybe to start what our obligation is. And it says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. For what purpose? And that's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Whereas um, the King James makes it sound a little bit like uh, we just come on Sunday and it's the work of our ministry to <clears throat> excuse me, edify the body of Christ. When really the, the job of the prophets and the apostles and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers is to equip the saints, the individual, which is us for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then we read a little bit on, and um, we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful, deceitful schemes. Um, one thing I, I wanted to put out there was, on, with social media, there's been a, a uh, video, and it's put out by Candace Owens, and it's been shared widely, and, and I'm not disagreeing or agreeing with her video, but talking about uh, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Um, one day, it's the, this video is widespread, and then the next day, um, there's another video by a uh, believer. I don't believe Candace Owens is a Christian. I might be wrong on that. Um, who called out the video because she didn't approach it from an uh, angle of grace. And then what do we know? But the next day, there's another one being spread out um, that's putting the second video down, and, and so it's, if you want to read it, it's out there, and, and um, you'll find whatever you want to agree with you, but we can find ourselves caught up in that because we like that this is a good video. Well, oh, this one's a good one. He has good points. Oh, wait, wait, now we're back to where we begin with. But in Christ, that is not the point of Christ. That's where we're getting to the unity of the Spirit. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in him in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is, it is equipped when we part, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. There's another one, another obligation of the church in this time. It doesn't matter which issue we're addressing, but it's love. Now this I say and testify they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you've learned in Christ. Assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, 
which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And here, in, in any given situation in life, and it doesn't matter what it is, this is our calling, and I can't, and you can't, we can't tell someone else um, which part of the mind needs renewed and which part is, needs, is not in the likeness of God. That's something I'm, I have to do for myself. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, this little section is getting into, uh, I would say, two common emotions that we feel through the whole thing. No matter what you're on, is, it's pretty easy to get angry. Um, people disagree with people. Tensions are high, and um, people are dealing with everything in a little bit personal way. So anger is, is easy. Um, but here's a good caution. We don't let the sun go down on our anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but <clears throat> with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then the next one, um, I don't even hardly want to touch it because it hurts me, but I think we have to. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for the building up as fits the occasion and may give grace to those that hear. And I'm not going to add just a lot to that. I think that's pretty plain. And uh, I know myself have a lot of room to talk on that or work on that one. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. And the last verse kind of sums it up. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. If we can remember that. But if we remember that the, the entire mission of the church and the body of Christ is a conversion of souls, the rest of these things, how we, what are we going to do under this new order? What are we going to do if the church or the government says we can't hold services? We need to remember that we can get worked up about it, but it's really not going to change anything when our vision and our mission and our whole heart is towards the conversion of the lost and saving the lost. And then I want to read just right into verse 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Right, and I think now we'll um, open up for prayer requests. Mike, I might call on you to pray. If anybody has any, or if not, we can go ahead and kneel for prayer. Well, good morning. Might just start off with a couple things before we start in here. Um, appreciate the opening. 
and say amen, and also the memo that me and Brad missed, why you can get it to us sometime. But uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. So, we've been through the book of Peter here. We've been through the first four chapters. And there's been a lot here. And we get to chapter 5, and he begins in verse 1. I wanted to ask you a question before I did that. For you to think about, and we'll get back to it later, but if you imagine being at the Cincinnati Zoo, and you were there with your family, and enjoying the day, walking around the zoo, and maybe somebody tells you, or maybe it's an announcement, and they say, the lion has escaped from his cage. And he's roaming through the park. What do you do? What do you think? We'll come back to that in a little bit. So he begins here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And he says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So, as he speaks to the elders here, as I understand this word elder, it is speaking of older folks. It's speaking of seniors. And yes, it is, I realize it was an appointed position. Um, in the Old Testament, it used the word elders as the, the leaders of a city, or the elders of a city, it would say, um, in, in different capacities, it would use the term elders. And then in the New Testament, they were called to appoint elders and to um, uh, ordain elders, I believe. And there's several scriptures that speak of it, but there's a couple scriptures, one of them being in Timothy 5.17, that speaks of elders not necessarily being a, a teacher or preacher. It says there, it says, especially speaking of elders and counting them worthy of honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine or in preaching and teaching, which leads me to believe that maybe there could be an elder that's, that's not laboring in word or doctrine. Um, that's not really the way we do it, but as we uh, talk through these verses this morning, I would like to include more than David and Bart in this conversation because I believe that there's many elders here in the congregation and just because you've not been ordained an elder by man doesn't mean that you're exempt from these verses as I read them they are a call to you as older men 
to do these things that we're going to see him call us to do. To share, to care, to feed, to lead. We need to hear from you as older individuals, men and women of God. We want to hear from you. Sometimes some of you don't, don't share a lot. Maybe you got reason. Maybe you feel like nobody listens to you when you do. Or maybe you don't want to interfere. I, I don't know. <clears throat> you know, for sure don't grow upset when we don't listen. Because often we don't. But that's not in your control. What is in your control is you sharing and caring and teaching and giving testimony and example from your life that we can learn from or choose not to. <clears throat> but I just challenge you to step up to the plate and to be active as these verses speak of doing it this morning as we go through them. He says here, he says, feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre of a ready mind. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Fulfill your responsibility. Care for the flock. Take oversight. Be a leader. And lead like Jesus, and he goes on to say, not by constraint, not by force, not because you have to. But do it willingly. Do it out of a ready heart. Do it because you care for people like Jesus cared for others. It's, it's not a burden if you do it. It's always a burden if you do it because you have to. It's never a burden if you do it because you want to. And that applies to so many areas of life. I find myself having that conversation with my children. You know, maybe they have a job that they're supposed to do, a task, whatever it may be, and they have an attitude about it, or they don't think they should have to do it, or they don't want to do it, or it's hard, and they can't find joy in it. And I have to have that conversation, find a way to want to. Because if you don't, you're going to be miserable doing your job and you're going to make everybody around you miserable while you're doing your job. And how great is that? <clears throat> I would suggest so it is for you elders. Your responsibility will be difficult and your whole church will be difficult if you're doing it because you have to. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre. Last time we, we talked, we talked out of uh, chapter 4 and talked about gifts and uh, hospitality. And Peter said there to not do it grudgingly. And he said there to do it, whatever you're doing with the ability that God gives you. And he called us to be good stewards of the gifts we're given. It's not a burden if you do it because you want to. It's always a burden when you do it because you have to. Do you ever feel that 
as your role in your role as an elder? He goes on to say, don't do it for money. Christ's kingdom is not about money. There's nothing in the kingdom of God that is ever about personal gain. And if there's anything that you're doing in church or in the kingdom of God for reward, for money, for perks, Peter says, stop. Stop. Do it with a ready mind, a willing heart. Do it for God's glory. Verse 3 goes on and says, Do not be lords, do not lord over God's heritage or God's people, you might say, or the flock, as is used in verse 2 and later in verse 3. Don't be domineering, don't be controlling. That's not what Jesus did, that's not how Jesus led. Peter is calling leaders to lead like Jesus did. Be an example. Isn't that what Jesus was? An example? And being an example means you do first what you want someone else to do or what you expect someone else to do. I read this this week. I think this was a woman who works for John Deere. Um, I'm not exactly sure what her role was, but she said, early in my new role, I made a mistake. And I explained what had happened to my boss. We decided to share with leadership. She sent the email and copied me in. This amazing woman took ownership and said, we made the misstep. 14 times out of 10, I would go to battle for her. When, when you have a boss that takes ownership for mistakes that happen, even among their employees, you'll have employees that are willing to fight for their boss. I've experienced that to a degree. And in my seed sales, I've had similar situations. And a person who does that will earn your trust, will earn your loyalty. And so it is, I would suggest, as elders, as leaders, you think of the difference when instead of doing that, you, you talk to the leadership and you tell what the person did wrong, what the employee did wrong, and you tell how it was all their fault and they shouldn't have done it and they should, what they should do next time. And you belittle that person and that person's never going to have, never going to respect you, never going to honor you or submit you in the capacity that they could had you handled it differently. And I think that's a lesson that we can carry into our, our churches and our, the way that we interact with each other and our leaders that we not be little people who mess up, who maybe don't do things right, but that we understand that it's, that it's our responsibility, that it's on us, that we not pass the blame. Elders, you do this, you feed the flock, you teach them well, lead the flock willingly, not by strength or by control, but by example. 
You be a shepherd, and verse, the next verse says, When the chief shepherd shall appear, you will receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Having said this to elders, having directed them in how they should lead, under Christ, by example, Peter now says, in verse 5, Likewise, or in the same way, you young people are called to submit yourselves to the elder. I want to stop you there. That's a brief phrase. But it's important. Because we as young people need to be able to submit to our elders. We need to hear them. We need to listen. We need to learn from them often. And oftentimes we probably should do what they recommend. We don't know as much as we think we do a lot of times, but, you know, we often think we do. And it goes throughout life. Think about little children, and they get to a stage where they know a lot. They know it all. You know, you get to 12 or 14, and you kind of got things figured out. You know how to handle situations. And then you get to 18. I mean, when I was 18, you didn't want any arguments with me. I know how the best way. And... That's pretty common. <clears throat> to think we have a complete grasp of life and to know best about many things. Of course, that's not true. But the fact of the matter is, we all, even as we get older in life, can be guilty of the same thing. We've all got so much to learn. And as we go through life, we do, we learn a lot every day. We do. And I know you've, you've shared, you older ones have shared that you don't know everything and you don't have it all together. And, and most of us would recognize that. But there's always those times in our life, those difficult situations. The times of conflict when we think we do see clearly. And I guess the call this morning is to, to be careful. We're going to get into that. That we be careful because he, he goes into humility here. But, but we, need to, we need to be able to hear our elders. And a good example of, of this younger needing the, out to submit to their elders is in Second Chronicles. You're familiar with the account, but I'm going to read to you from Second Chronicles chapter 10. You can turn there if you want or I will read through it briefly. It's about Rehoboam. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had come to make him king. Jeroboam and all Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore, ease thou somewhat the grievous servitude of your father and his heavy yoke that he put on us, and we will serve you. And he said unto them, Let me think about it. Come back after three days. So the people departed. King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men that had stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived. These were elders. These were men who had been with the wisest man. And you know they had a lot of wisdom. And he went to them. He said, what counsel would you give me that I might answer this people? 
This is what the elder men told Rehoboam. If you be kind to this people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. He didn't, didn't like it, didn't want to do it. He did not take the counsel the old men gave him and instead took counsel with the young men that were brought up with him that stood before him speaking, I would understand, of his friends and his peers. And he said to them, what advice do you have that I should answer to this people which have spoken to me saying, ease somewhat the yoke that your father put upon us. And the young men that were brought up with him said unto him, this is what you should answer the people that spake to you saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you should make it lighter for us. This is what you should say to them. My little finger will be thicker than your father's loins. You know that my father put a heavy yoke upon you. I will put more to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scorpions. That was their advice. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had told them, saying, come back to me on the third day. And the king answered them roughly. And King Rehoboam forsook the counsel of the old men and answered them after the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. And you know the outcome. He lost the people. The kingdom was divided. They didn't serve him. We need to listen to our elders. As leaders, we don't have it all together. We need to listen to counselors, others in our life. Because you've got both sides here. You've got a leader who was seeking advice, didn't listen to it. And when, when leaders don't listen to advice, they don't have it all together either. And so it's just, it's, it's not, there's no top of the line outside of Christ. We all need each other, and ultimately we need Christ to give us direction. <clears throat> Your kingdom will be divided as well if you never learn to submit to your elders, to learn from history, to seek advice. And submitting is a scary thing to do. It takes faith. But when older folks in your life are under Christ, when they are submitting to Him, you know, it can get really good. He goes on in verse 5. He says, He spoke to the elders, He spoke to the young. And now he says, yea, all of you be subject one to another. This is for everyone. It's not just for the old, it's not just for the young, it's for all of us. We've got to be able to get along. We've got to be able to communicate. We've got to be able to have a relationship. We've got to be able to have respect. We've got to love. Be subject one to another. And then he gives us a dress code. Some of you like dress codes. But he tells us what to wear. 
He says, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Are you wearing that today? It takes humility to submit. It's not what's taught in our society, not in the least. In fact, the very opposite is promoted. Pride, pride, pride. Peter says, be clothed with humility for good reason. What is that reason? For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. And I don't know about you, but to have the God of the world, the God of the universe resisting me, sounds like a bad thing. Do you want that? God resisteth the proud. Giveth grace to the humble. There's a story in 2 Chronicles about, I believe it's chapter 26, about Uzziah. King Uzziah. It's kind of a favorite of mine because he's a farmer. And he did what was right inside of the Lord. It says, it says there that he must, I mean, he was only 16 years old when he became king. So he must have listened to his elders. He must have got some good advice. Because it says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father did. He sought God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. It goes on, it says God helped him. Among his enemies, verse 15 says that his name spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. And he became strong and he got big enough. And we get to that till. And it says that when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord. He went into the temple and he wasn't supposed to be in there and burn incense. And there was 81 el- um, priests that came in against him and he was upset at him and he got leprosy. He had leprosy till the day he died. He got to the point, something, for some reason he thought he could do whatever he wanted. God helped him. God is the one who fought his battles for him. And he became strong, and he began to do things on his own. And I just wonder, do I get that attitude sometimes today? There are men that think because of their position or their power or their name or their money, which is ultimately their pride through it all, that they can do whatever they want. And I can find that in my own life. Uzziah started out so well, he was marvelously helped, it said. Helped by God, as are you and I. But Uriah for, Uzziah forgot that it was the marvelous help that brought him that power. And he became proud. And God, It says here that God resists the proud but gives grace 
to the humble. Uh, back in James, there's a couple of verses that speak to this. Uh, verse 6 of chapter 4, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. In his time. You're not getting paid here. Peter already talked about that. We don't do our work, kingdom work, for money. At least not for dishonest gain. <clears throat> but the, the humble will have their reward in due time, it says. And there's coming a day where you will be rewarded. I don't know about you, but I don't want to feel the resistance of a mighty God. To experience His grace, we must become humble. We have to die to ourselves. We have to admit that we are wrong. And it's then that we can experience the grace of Christ that brings salvation. Moving into verse 7, he says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Have you done that recently? Have you cast all your cares upon him? I think about how many times in my life I get to stacking them up on my back and just carrying them around. And they get heavy. And sometimes they get to be finally more than I can bear. Do you do that? I just kind of picture that. And it's like you keep stacking them on there and you keep going until you can't go anymore. It's kind of like stacking dynamite on your back. I mean, the more you stack, the bigger the explosion's going to be. And the more that we carry these cares and these weights and these pains in life around, the worse it's going to get when we finally become overwhelmed. <clears throat> I don't know what you're carrying. It could have started years ago. It could have been abuse in your past. It could have been failure in your past. It could have been sin in your past. Maybe it's just the last two weeks you've been stacking the cares on your back instead of taking them to the cross. I don't know where, what it is for you, but Peter says to cast all your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. There's another way you don't have to go to you explode. You can lay him down at the foot of the cross. He will take your pain, your cares. He wants to. Matthew 11 says, Come unto me, all ye that, are lab that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. 
for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You don't have to carry your cares. Cast them on him. He cares for you today. And if you've never unloaded your cares on Christ, today's the day. This morning's the day. We're not promised this afternoon. Now is the time. Remember the question that I asked you in the beginning? Perhaps you're at the Cincinnati Zoo. And an announcement is made. The lions have escaped their cages. And they're roaming through the park. What do you do? I have to imagine that if you were there, if I was there, I would be on high alert. I would be looking for that lion. I would be looking for cover. I would be looking for a way out of the park. Well, Peter tells us today that we're kind of in a zoo. And there's a lion loose. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And I know that I would be looking for something to save me if I was at the Cincinnati Zoo. And I would be looking for a way out of that zoo. And it's amazing how many people walk around on this earth with a roaring lion walking around seeking whom he may devour, and they don't even care. There is protection, and it's Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit will give you the power to defeat this lion, just like it did Daniel in the lion's den. It can for each of us today. And ultimately, he wants to take us out of this zoo. Do you have, do you know the way? Be sober, be alert, watch, stand, be on your guard. Know that the lion is loose. Be prepared, be vigilant, because your adversary, he's our adversary. This is not a halfway tame lion. He is looking to devour you. It says in Job, he walks back and forth. He's looking at you. Are you aware? Are you looking to Christ for your protection? <clears throat> He's looking to devour you, but just as Daniel in the lion's den, so you can experience the power of God in your life. Whom resists steadfast in the faith, verse 9, through your faith, you can resist this lion. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, I just understand that to speak that you're not alone in this. This lion is all around the world. He's, this, Peter speaks of suffering, he speaks of persecution, and it's happening around the world. And, and don't think that it's just you, and it's just this time, it's continued. James 4, verse 7, 
says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And Zeb opened this morning from Ephesians 6 as he spoke about the armor of God. We can be equipped to face this situation of life and of Satan as he comes at us. Resist him. Verse 10, but the God of all grace, who hath called us to, to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. He says you're going to suffer for a while. What if you have to suffer for 70 years? I mean, when you compare it with that word eternity, eternal, it's even 70 years is a while. It's not that long. We've got to have perspective. You know, there are some of us that have to suffer more than others, it seems. Sometimes it seems like life's not fair. So what do we do with that? This, these verses and these promises are for every one of us individually. And to compare ourselves with someone else, and someone else's road and walk in life doesn't change ours. The God of all grace who hath called us, called me, to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. He wants to make you these things. We don't have to fear. We don't have to live in fear of this lion. Because we have the promises of God and we have the assurance that Christ is enough. To him, Jesus, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. He told them they were standing in the true grace of God. That must have been a confidence builder. These are closing remarks here. And the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Greet you one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. And that verse, along with a couple others, would be the, the closing greetings is primarily where uh, the, we would get the, the holy kiss that, that is practiced. And, you know, what that exactly looked like is no doubt somewhat unknown. But this is how he closes his greeting, greet one, or his remarks. Greet one another with a kiss of charity, of love. And then this, which I would leave you with this morning. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Cast your cares upon him. Don't 
live life in fear of the lion, but look to Jesus. He is your strength. He is your only way out. And be aware that there is a lion, that there is a, an adversary who is after us. But that this, even though we suffer, it's just a while in the, in the light of eternity. It's really not that long. And so have faith and continue and live in peace. Peace be with you. And that's something you can only have if you're in Christ Jesus, to have that true peace. This book of Peter has had a lot, a lot in it. This is the first time we went through a whole chapter in a message. <clears throat> and no doubt it was written, we know it was written to a, a church that was persecuted. And this book may become more and more relevant in the future. And I would just encourage you that First Peter gives a lot of guidance on how to live, how to deal with both authority in the earthly sense, with authority in the spiritual sense, with dealing with each other as husbands and wives and fellow believers. It talks of Christ throughout it, and it speaks of suffering and the hope that we have in the midst of suffering. There's so much, and so as you live in the coming weeks and months and chaos and confusion abounds and you're not sure what to do or how to act sit down and read first peter it's just five chapters there's a lot there that can give you some direction can give you some encouragement that can give you i pray peace in your life, let's have a song.